My name's Jo Wise, and this is Wise Women, the podcast. In my book, I Am A Woman, I quote a Native American proverb which states that the world will know a thousand years of peace when women have healed their hearts. I believe that one way for women to heal their hearts is to share their stories. Just like in ancient times, when our female ancestors would gather at the full and new moons in tune with their cycles to cleanse their experiences together. On this podcast, I'll be asking women from all walks of life to share their stories. Not only to give a voice to the wisdom they discovered during some of their greatest life challenges, but also to remind you of your deepest wisdom too. This is Wise Women. Sharing stories, sharing wisdom. From a young age and through troubling teenage years, Miranda McPherson was devoted to her own inner work and study of the world's wisdom traditions, and in her late 20s founded an interfaith seminary where she trained and ordained over 600 ministers. At the age of 36, and no doubt as a result of her service and commitment to spirituality, she received a life-changing awakening and attunement of deep peace and stillness, which caused all the familiar structures of her life to dissolve. Her marriage, her work, her home, even the country she lived in all altered completely. In this podcast, she talks about how her only choice was to say yes to what was happening and relinquish her way for the way of grace. Miranda, who's an author and international spiritual teacher, has lots of wisdom to share with other women about why we try and control our lives and the suffering it brings. And she talks about grace too, what it is, what it feels like and how to access it. There's so much to love and learn from our conversation, but I especially hope you enjoy Miranda's story about the rabbi's answer phone message and the mantra she sings at the end as much as I did. Hi, Joe. Great to speak to you and thanks for being with me today. I'm aware that when you start most discussions, certainly on your retreats, which I've been fortunate enough to attend, you always begin with a settling practice. I'm sure you've done that yourself on your own. And I've done that myself before linking up with you today. But I wondered if you could open a short one for us collectively now. Sure. Yeah. Well, wherever you happen to be, wherever you are listening to this, my invitation to you is just to bring your awareness into the really simple, immediate experience of just being here in this moment. So the easiest way for that to happen is just bring your focus into your body and really sense whatever you're sitting on or maybe your feet are in contact with the floor and literally just receive the fact of holding and support on this most basic level in this moment. And as if on every inhale, you're just feeling as if you're being welcomed into this moment exactly as you are. And on every exhale, just feeling as if you're melting deeper into yourself, deeper into whatever's holding your body. deeper into the simplicity of just being here now, however you are. And the gentle rise and fall of your own breath can carry you. Being welcomed on the inhale, letting go on the exhale. Just notice on the inhale how without even trying, the life-giving oxygen arrives within your own breath. And that it's a gift from the plant kingdom to every single one of us. And it's not earned or deserved, it just is. So with the exhale, feel yourself relaxing into just this goodness that's always here. Even if you're going through something very difficult, 
plants are still taking in your waste and giving you back life-giving oxygen. And see if you can receive that and relax into it. Just being right where you are. Thank you, Miranda. Why is it important for you to do that? Well, so much of the time we're not actually present. We're caught up in fearful thoughts, in worry and anxiety, in you know, trying to navigate through life from a very stressful mindset. And often that's so habitual, we're not even aware that we're doing it. And that that's really the root cause of the loss of peace and equanimity and natural joy. And yet, paradoxically, that peace and equanimity and natural joy is actually intrinsic to life and intrinsic to our being. And yet it usually requires us to exit our kind of familiar, automatic, egocentric kind of way of going about things in order to really receive it and be at peace with life. Mm. I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I feel sometimes as well it calls in something bigger than us. I was listening to this amazing podcast uh, only a few days ago, actually, and the presenter asked the contributor the first question and the contributor said, you know, before I answer your question, do you mind if I sing a song to my ancestors? And mm. she just burst into song, uh, a Gaelic song, I think. Mm. Beautiful. And she said, I didn't want to be a lone voice here today. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, the whole spiritual dimension of life is very much about opening to that, what I call the, the loving presence that is always here that we're part of. But the problem is, is that most of us aren't feeling that. We're separated from it. And so it feels as if we're walking through life alone and that we have to do something or become different or seek externally for love and peace and joy. Well, all of the world's mystical traditions have been saying to us all along, what you seek is what you are, right? The love, the peace, the joy that you want is actually here in the depth of your heart. But the problem is we're not here. We're caught up in our mind. And so we need practices that help us to just return to the awareness of what's always here so we can feel it and know it. And as we contact that, whether that's through prayer or meditation or mindfulness practice or something else or singing, something that helps us to connect experientially, then what we find is we have so much more of an inner platform for going about life in a way that is a lot more graceful. And that's really what my work's all about, yeah. is how people to live a more graceful way of being, to become a more graceful person in life. Well, I'm going to ask you more about your work and uh, your book, The Way of Grace, as well shortly. But this whole podcast, Miranda, is about uh, talking to women about challenges they faced in their life, asking those women to share those challenges so that other women can really connect with those stories. And the challenge that I'm going to be talking with you about today is how you let go of control in the mm. wake of every structure of your life dissolving. So can we go back to that time of your life? Because I know it happened after a huge realisation that changed everything for you when you were 36, I think. Can you tell me more about that? And also, what aspects of your life exactly dissolved as a result of that happening? So this life-changing awakening took place in India, in a cave that was once the home of a great saint, his name was Sri Ramana Maharshi. And often, you know, when these big openings or realizations happen for us, it, they often happen when we're not looking for them. And that was true for me. But the awakening that took place, it just had this effect of kind of really stopping everything you know, interrupting as if someone had just pulled all the cords out of the soundboard. And the effect of it for me was this deep, deep quiet inside and deep peace. And um, it was really what I could then 
say had been the, the thing I had been praying for help with all my life. And yet often what isn't talked about is what can happen for people after they have a big realization. So for me what took place was there was this letting go, this dissolving of all of the structures of my life that had been holding together my familiar identity, you know, my familiar personhood. And so very quickly, without me trying to change anything, all of the familiar structures of my life started to dissolve, and very rapidly. My marriage started to feel different, and with my marriage starting to, to sort of that had been a good marriage of 13 years, starting to come apart, um, I could sort of feel like, oh, my goodness, everything else is going to start coming apart too, and I was right. So I, you know, started to see that the only graceful way to handle this was to say yes to the changes that were taking place, to say yes to the letting go of everything that, had held my familiar life and my familiar identity in place. So I think one night when I was meditating, because I was experiencing a wave of anxiety and I couldn't sleep, I was praying, you know, help me to really see what's being asked here so I can say yes to it. And I kind of heard, you know, in my in the silence of my meditation, as if I were being asked questions like, who are you without? And so, you know, I was asked so many questions. Who are you without your home? Who are you without your country? Who are you without your social standing? Who are you without your role as spiritual teacher? Who are you without your husband? Who are you without the Interfaith Seminary? Who are you without? And the list went on and on and on. I mean, imagine if you were asked you know, who are you without, and then fill in every single tiny attachment that you have, anything that you define yourself by. That was the kinds of questions I was asked. And finally, the last question, and I was journaling this by this point, the last question was, who are you without Miranda? And as I wrote the M of my name, the pen ran out. <laughs> and I kind of got it. It was like, whoa, this huge moment of realizing that's what was being asked of me was to really let go of even my very sense of self, of all that I had taken myself to be. Now, that's really what deep spiritual practice ultimately asks of us at a certain point to let go of everything familiar, including your sense of self. Now, some people who might not be engaged or familiar with this might ask, well, what on earth is the good of that? You know, But when you really start digging deep, you realize that so much of the unnecessary stress and struggle and neurosis and fear that plagues your life or makes you less than peaceful, its central axis is a sense of me that thinks, I am my mind, I am my thoughts, I am my history, I am the roles I play, I am my emotions, I am what I do, I am what I've built up. And inevitably, even if you don't consider yourself a spiritual person, that will go. You know, we will, it really comes down to it in the end, we will have to let go of everything, whether we want to or not. Mm -hmm. There's not a choice in that. You know, it's called the dying process. It's called losing loved ones. It's called aging. <laughs> All these things that life entails, whether you want them to or not. And so really the choice that we have is, will we find a way to be graceful with that, to learn to accept it and open to it and open to it as a mystery, as an adventure, right? And say yes and kind of go on the ride, or will we resist and say no? You said there, Miranda, that you knew that the only way to handle it was to say yes. But mm -hmm. you also talked about, you know, the anxiety that you were feeling and going, uh -huh. going through very human emotions as it was happening. Absolutely. So it's, yeah. it's not easy to say yes, is it? No, of course it isn't. I mean, you know, ask anybody, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, how is it to let go of something that you've held dear, of something that you've been familiar with? It's not easy for any one of us. And that is why we actually need 
spiritual tools. And the whole point of spiritual practices is to help us to accept what is, to open our heart to the mystery of our lives, and to learn to flow with what's going on. That is what makes us graceful. And if we can't do that, then life becomes quite a struggle. But it, you know, it doesn't mean that you, you don't have the difficult emotions. Of course, we all experience fear, uncertainty. It's instinctive to contract, you know, and feel vulnerable. But so, so much of it is really about learning how to befriend those emotions when we come and learning how to allow them without clamping down, mm. right? So, for example, take grief. It's totally normal and natural to experience grief when, for example, you know, a marriage might be coming apart. And even though we might recognize that a marriage is, it needs to come apart. It's come as far as it has. We've tried our best, right? We, we, we have given our best and this is just what's going on, right? We've come as far as we can. It doesn't mean you're not going to experience sadness, of course you are. Like when someone you love, you know, is elderly and they've died and on one level you're happy because they're now out of their suffering and that their dying is a natural part of life, right? And it might even have been a good death. They died peacefully. However, you still, that doesn't mean you're not going to miss them or experience a wave of loss or sadness, and so, so much of what helps us to be graceful is to learn to allow those emotions when they come, you know, and even fear. If we just allow a wave of fear and not contract like, oh, my God, this is terrible, it shouldn't be, then the fear moves through us and we can then discriminate, is this kind of the wisdom of our survival instinct trying to get us to take a different action? which is like what fear can do for us. It can say, move, there's a bus coming, you know, sprint, go pick up your child from grabbing, jumping into a swimming pool when they can't swim, right? That, that's service of our humanity rather than the mind stream of fear that then starts spinning on itself trying to figure it out from within a very contracted place. Mm. When you were going through your letting go was there ever a time when you didn't act gracefully? Absolutely. Absolutely. There were moments when, you know, I acted out of hurt, anger, fear. And that also has to be seen for what it is and accepted. And, you know, but again, if we can recognize that and just forgive ourselves and bring our attention back to, what is, what is it that I truly need, you know, to really live out of my deepest values? But what most of us do is judge ourselves for our humanness. So that's what I call, you know, the superego, or some people call the inner critic, which is, can be very, very negative. And I notice that people in England in particular have a real hard time with that. It's, mm. There's a big cultural part of, of that that and certainly what I've noticed all my years working with people in England, it's a very, very big challenge for most people to learn how to be kind to themselves and forgiving of themselves when we make mistakes or we act in ways that we're not proud of. Yeah, I think, oh my goodness, you're making so much sense, Miranda. And I, I've been through a couple recently experiences of having to let go. There's been no choice and it's been like holding on to sand. Yeah. Uh, and in those moments, like you say, your only choice really is is to go with it. It's how gracefully you can let go. That's it. Yeah. There's this wonderful line in of Lao Tzu that was, is there in the Tao Te Ching. It says, to ride the horse in the direction the horse is going. Yeah. I love that. Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, you really kind of feel into it. You still have to ride the horse, right? And, and anyone who's ridden a galloping horse, you know there's an art to riding a horse and not falling off, right? <laughs> So you have to sort of, okay, you've got to get in the saddle, you've got to get the right posture, you've got to find your balance, you know, you've got to attune to the horse, you've got to watch what's where you're going and, you know, you, you've got to, got to go with it. 
right? And there's a particular kind of galvanizing of your inner kind of qualities and focus and resource. But it's not wise to try to turn a galloping horse 180 degrees. You're going to get bucked off. You're going to you know, <laughs> hurt your back. I mean, I know because I've tried it. You know, I, I actually really hurt my back in my 30s when I was horse riding. And I tried to turn the horse in, you know, 180 degrees the other way when it was really intent on not doing that. And I must up my back, you know. So it's this use of kind of using our will against the flow of reality that is not very wise. It's better to use our will and our life force to say yes, go with the invitations that life is bringing and learn to trust that the underlying pulse of reality is kind of wanting the best for us. Mm. And we see this, we see evidence for this. If we spend time in nature, and particularly parts of nature that haven't been too messed with by a human mind, and you just observe how, you know, everything starts to harmonize and flow in the way that is life-giving when we don't mess with it. And that our true nature knows how to do that. You know, our true nature knows how to move this way and adapt in that way and, you know, grow wiser over here and let go of control over there and, and trust the process, you know. And so spiritual practice really is about that ultimately, learning to surrender, right? Learning to yield, learning to trust. Mm. Well, that kind of brings us on to control, doesn't it? The subject of control. Um, and I know you talk in your book about melting the grip of control, which is a, a yeah. lovely way to phrase it. Why is mm -hmm. control so seductive, but also so destructive as well? Well, you have to first understand where control comes from. You know, control arises out of fear, right? So I think of fear comes first and we, we contract in fear when we feel scared or we feel I don't have what I need or, you know, we're feeling overwhelmed or it feels that the love and the support we need to is, is, is not there for us. And, you know, every single human being has so many layers of that fear where, you know, it feels that way. We feel separate from what we need. And if that fear isn't addressed and resolved, it progresses to some kind of strategy of control, which I call it a grip of control because it literally feels like a grip in our body. Our muscles tense, you know, the fight or flight gets activated and our mind gets really busy and we try to do something to offset our helplessness or that which scares us. And yet all of this is happening. We're kind of ignoring, you know, the deeper reality. That's why in Eastern traditions, they say that the root of suffering is ignorance. We're ignoring a deeper truth, quite literally. And so we have to bring our unconscious mechanisms of control and the fear underneath them to the light of awareness so we can really look with the light on. What is it really that I fear? You know, it's a little bit like to tell a child who's scared of boogeyman in the dark when they turn the light off at night don't worry there's no boogeyman everything's fine go to sleep well we all know that, that doesn't do much good for the child you know i mean from the adult's perspective it's true but it doesn't actually really help the child to get over their fear what really helps is to turn the light on and take a really good look at all the places where you imagine something disastrous lurks and it's only by really looking with the light on, with support, with love, that we get it in our bodies. Oh, it, it was just in my mind. It wasn't actually real. And then we get over it. So that's what has to happen. And that's why I've written a book like this called The Way of Grace, because I recognize that most people really need a helping hand to address those things that scare them, to actually learn to relax out of the learned patterns of control that contract us um, in our consciousness and make us less than elegant in our way of being. Because life doesn't have to be lived from a consciousness of fear and control. It really doesn't. Mm. There is another way to live. Well, you talked about your book there, The Way of Grace, and uh, you talk in that about relinquishing your grip of control for mm. the way of grace. So that brings us nicely onto that subject, because if we're going to 
relinquish control. We need something to replace it with. So this is where where grace steps in. And I suppose the first kind of obvious question on this next subject is what is grace? Yeah, well, it's a big subject. And that's why I've written a whole book on it. (laughs) See, grace is really, I define grace as the, the living presence, right? That is at the core of our being and the core of all being. And this living presence that causes the mountains to emerge, causes the plants to take in our human waste and give us back life-giving oxygen, that causes our heart to beat. It's the, the living, animating force of life. And it's, it's loving and it's good and it's always here and we're part of it, right? And so grace is simultaneously the foundation, the, the gra- I call it the ground of our being, cause of our being it's also the blessings that somehow mysteriously come to us that we might experience in our life as like synchronicity or you know somehow being gifted with things i had a client recently he's a new client and he's comes from a chinese background and he was like at first he was saying to me i don't get why you need to sort of talk about this grace thing and then all of a sudden he started reading my book and doing these practices on ego relaxation. And he wrote me this beautiful email and he said, now I understand. He says, I woke up and all of a sudden I just feel this lightness. I feel, I feel joy. I feel peace. I feel love. And it feels as if I've been given a gift and I haven't done anything to deserve it. And I don't know how it arrived, but I feel it. Right. So that's the bless what I call the blessings of grace that bring forth, bring back online what it is that we truly need to be happy, to be at peace, to be joyful. And sometimes it comes in surprising ways like, you know, how many of us got up this one morning and said, okay, now I'm going to go out. Today I'm going to meet my best friend. (laughs) Right. I'm going to meet the love of my life. It doesn't work like that. You're going about your business. And somehow, you know, you just happen to be somewhere and you, you have this really lo- just fabulous connection with somebody and you can't really put your finger on why you connect in a way that is just so right and juicy and positive and fulfilling. But there it is. And that person becomes your best friend or becomes your life partner. And somehow you might have been trying to have a child for years and it hasn't happening and then all of a sudden – you get pregnant and this particular little being that becomes your child is so unique and you, f- you find such love for them and they for you and it's such a blessing in your life and you couldn't have made that happen. And so grace is also this incredible blessings that come to us in ways that are very unique and personal that help us to thrive and help us to experience beauty and goodness, right? And so we can become more receptive to these blessings because they're always here. But they, f- they bring that felt sense of our inner cup being filled, which is very beautiful. But grace is not just that. Grace is also this mystical presence that transforms our suffering into wisdom. And so many of us perhaps have gone through, gone through big things in our life that at the time were extremely difficult, extremely testing. But yet you look upon that later after you've been through it and go, I'm so glad that happened. Mm. That was such an important learning or such an important quickening that I wouldn't want to not be with, you know. And so we see that grace is this mysterious transforming power that, you know, is trying to help us and trying to evolve us. And that if we have a spiritual practice, it, it's usually dancing with our prayer, with our meditation, um, to try to awaken us and evolve us as human beings. But ultimately, grace is a more spiritually elegant, easeful, connected way of living our life. You know, what I was saying before, learning how to be more present, more open, more fluid, less resistive, and that makes us, you know, quite literally more graceful. Hmm. Helps us to stay grounded in that which internally, you know, is is never changed, is, is always peaceful. 
while we meet the challenges and the changes of life with equanimity and wisdom. So ultimately, grace is what gives us the capacity to be fully human and yet to, you know, feel the touch of heaven in our midst. Miranda, I love all of those explanations. And I also wanted to bring grace alive with some examples as well, because in your book, you talk about uh, a person, a a teacher of yours, Rabbi Gilberman, and Mm. he for you was so joyful. And again, this is grace at work, isn't it? Joy. Mm -hmm, For sure. Yeah. Can can you tell us a bit more about him? Yeah, Rabbi Gilberman was one of my earliest spiritual teachers. In fact, he he was a Hasidic rabbi who narrowly escaped the Holocaust and came immigrated to the United States and eventually, you know, needed help to really process the immense grief and loss of losing 17 brothers and sisters and his wife and four-year-old daughter and every living relative to the Holocaust and something that, you know, it's hard to even fathom how a human being could really deal with that, process that. Anyway, he eventually went on to start the first ever interfaith seminary. This was revolutionary sort of back in the 60s. And um, and he asked me to start a seminary of that kind in the United Kingdom, which I did when I was 26. But, you know, I was always fascinated by how come he was so joyful. And he really was. I mean, he'd walk into the room and he was just like this lightning rod of just... <laughs> aliveness and joy i mean in fact you you i remember the first time i phoned him i was about 22 at the time and i had been given this brochure about the interface seminary and i was ringing him to explore to learn more about it and to perhaps become a student and i get his answering machine and this was his answering machine i kid you not it goes like this shalom my friend this is the day the Lord has created for you to be happy and content. Seize this day and be at peace. Be in joy. Shalom, my friend. Shalom. <laughs> and I thought, this nutter. I mean, I, I really didn't know what to make of it, right? And I didn't know who he was at that time. But And I thought, this is just really intense and ridiculous. But as I got to know him, no, this is just how he was. I mean, he was so celebratory. He was always singing and dancing, joking, smile on his face. He was incredibly generous. He was just alive with joy. And I remember one time I brought him out to England. You know, uh, we were running a retreat together and we were sitting out in my garden at the time in Oxford and I managed to just ask him about it. I said, "How, how are you so joyful? given the amount of tragedy and loss that you have been through, that I can't even begin to fathom what it must be like to live through that, to lose everyone you love that way. And he took a deep breath and he had a little tear in his eye and he said something very profound to me. He said, I may not always be happy, but my soul's nature is joyful. And then he told me that he would visualize his ancestors, his relatives, singing and dancing their way into the gas chambers, their dying moments, singing and dancing and praising God, that that's how he remembered them. And they were Hasidic, and so singing and praising is part of his cultural tradition. But nevertheless, for him, that was his kind of statement, in a way, that, You can, you know, things can get very dark. You know, human beings can do atrocious things to one another. And goodness knows in our world today, you know, it's, I think of it as egocentricity on crack a lot of the time. You know, the ridiculous, inhuman way that we go about being with one another is painful. And, you know, there is something in us that cannot be destroyed and, that something is naturally joyful at its core, naturally loving at its core, naturally good at its core. And that it's really important that we stay close to that and in what ways that we can. Mm. The other example of grace I wanted you just to touch on quite quickly was your first ever whale sighting. Because again, Mm -hmm. it's joy, isn't it? This is joy we're talking about here. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, my husband and I go on a beach holiday every year, and and I, I really think of it as part of 
the spiritual practice of our marriage to really take a few weeks and we take three weeks and we just go and just to go to the beach every day and it's really good medicine and I meditate a lot on the beach I, I love to meditate and it's very natural so this day I we were in Hawaii and I was sitting on this favorite beach it was the most glorious day it was about 4 30 in the afternoon so the way the light was hitting the water was like golden nectar and scintillating light on the water. And I was just really enjoying it, you know, just sitting there, relaxed, enjoying it in this natural state of deep meditation. When astonishingly close to the shore, leapt this enormous humpback whale. And it, I was in such a deep state of meditation that when that happened, it felt as if that whale was leaping out of my heart. And not only was this moment of extreme sort of pleasure and joy, but because my consciousness was not externally orientated, oh, look at that whale, it felt like that I was that whale, that whale was me, and that the joy was arising from within my heart, like the whale leaps out of the sea, that is its environment. So what it tells us is that we so use the thinking of joy as something that we get through external circumstances. But when you and I really look at anything that triggers joy, right, it might be different things. For some of us, it might be, you know, the delight of our grandchild and the funny things they say. Or for some of us, it might be being with our horse or, you know, gardening and tending to our roses when they're in full bloom or it might be, you know, creating beauty in our home, any ordinary things that just give us that uplift of joy. Instead of thinking of the joy as coming from that outer thing, follow the feeling of the joy, and you'll notice that there are many things that trigger the arising of joy, but the location of the joy arising is our own heart. Mm. And that that tells us is something that the great mystics have been saying all along, especially in the Hindu tradition. They say that our true nature is sat-chit-ananda, being, consciousness, and bliss, love, joy, bliss, right? And that the location of that is the human heart, not the physical heart, but the heart of our being, right? And so we can feel that, wow, our heart's nature is joy and love, it's, it's our deepest nature. And so when we feel that, what that does is it resolves the felt sense of spiritual poverty that drives so much of the materialism and the seeking externally that really impoverishes us on an inner level. We recognize that joy and love is always here and it's always part of us. Yeah, I think you've answered my next question already, Miranda, but I think it's important to expand because I've heard you say many times that, you know, it's pretty much impossible for us to access grace, this field that you're talking about, if we don't remain present, if we're constantly leaving our bodies, if we're constantly disconnecting, yep. if we're busy, if we're distracted, we, we haven't got a chance, have we? That's right. Exactly. Because grace is only available right where we are. Right. Grace isn't a thing that we get from some other time or state. You know, grace is to be found through deepening into our immediate direct experience. And then all of a sudden it bubbles up, that felt sense of the loving goodness, that felt sense of being in and part of something which we might not have a name for, but we can feel directly. And when we feel it, we recognize our life as being a, a blessing and that our life is meaningful. So to connect with grace, you're saying requires presence, openness, emptiness. Mm -hmm. Why is it uncomfortable for people to rest in those open, empty spaces? You know, we're much more comfortable, aren't we, with, like I say, being busy, diary bookings, commitments. Right. Well, um, that's because when, we, when you kind of really start turning more substantially within, what we inevitably come up against is the limitations of our ordinary way of knowing ourselves, or what's called in spiritual parlance our ego. And our ego tends to think, oh gosh, you know, if I start getting close, if I start going too far in, I might find that I'm deficient or not good enough. 
Now, every single person across the world who I've had a deep conversation with has admitted to me that one of their deep fears is it being found out that they're not good enough, Mm. right? And that's that's a feeling that everybody have, and here's why. Because our ego, the, the one we take ourselves to be, is actually hollow at its core. It's not a real being. Our ego is a structure that we have taken ourselves to be. It's a bunch of adaptive mechanisms and impressions from the past and feelings that usually have a felt sense of insecurity at the core. Because all ego structures have an ins- are insecure fundamentally. And, you know, usually we're afraid of this. We think, oh, my God, that's a terrible problem. What if anyone finds out? But the big joke is that everyone has this. <laughs> so if you kind of just go, oh, oh, okay, then it doesn't have to be such a problem. You just start getting curious about, well, if that's just a structure of self, then who am I? Who am I? Who am I? outside of this or who what else is here and so usually it takes quite a lot of encouragement and nurturing and support and guidance from usually from a spiritual teacher or from some kind of practice to learn to settle that agitation of the ego and just learn to settle down into your body with your breath just to be here in a simple way and to not get so stressed out about that felt sense of insecurity so that we can go towards it and actually start getting in touch with what else is here. And truth of the matter is what else is here is something so luminous and pure and beautiful that you're going to be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> but usually it takes kind of, it's a little bit like, you know, when we, when we learn to dive through a wave in the ocean at first, the hard part is the way in. Because, you know, when, you, when you've got a huge liquid force of the wave, coming up at you and it's so much bigger than you your mind goes you must be crazy you you cannot be kidding me like you instinctively want to run back to shore but the thing to do is to dive into that wave and to relax and your mind goes that cannot be a good idea so you have to learn to gather that strength and that support to go in into your experience and to learn to relax and let it be. And that's how you find yourself deepening into the ocean. And in the process of it, it's surprising. Once you dive, it's not a big deal. And you what was I worried about? Yeah. But you don't know that on the way in. No. So this is why we need the support. It's why I've written a book like this. I absolutely love that analogy. I've heard it um, several times and every time I hear something different in it as well and to how, how important it is to to dive into the ocean as well. Because something else I really wanted to get across here, Miranda, is even though the way of grace is about not doing anything, we're not mm-hmm. talking about passivity here, are we? We have to no. be active. And this is a very advanced practice you're talking about. I am. It's a very advanced practice. You'll find it at the heart of Taoism called Wu Wei. You'll find it in the depth of Zen meditation. And you'll find it in the depth of Christian mystical practice as surrender and be still. Right. So it's a universal practice of relaxing our fear and our control, the grip of our ego, and learning to be present and undefended with what is. And that's how we are found by a grace that's deeper than than what we usually take ourselves to be so it's 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 a sort of paradox of you know the courage and the strength and the dedication and the willingness and the humility to st- and the trust to stay present and those are all spiritual muscles that we have to build right also that we can relax we can cease defending we can actually just let go of the things that blight our access. Mm, Perfect. Thank you so much for everything you shared on this podcast, Miranda. Before you go, though, I did want to ask how people can find out more about you, how they can find out more about the books. I know you've got various um, audios and videos that people can access as well, but where's the best place to go to find out more? Best place to go is my website, which is my name, MirandaMcPherson.com. And MacPherson is spelled M-A-C-P-H-E-R-S-O-N. So go to my website, not only because you'll kind of get a a sense of 
more of who I am and what I'm offering, which if you've liked this, you'll enjoy very much, because there's also a, an actual sanctuary in my website, an audio video sanctuary, with tons of meditations, practices, video teachings um, for people to enjoy that will really support them. And also, you know, more about my book and also about the global online community that we run through Facebook, and that is uh, Miranda McPherson Teachings. Um, and I give Facebook Live broadcasts um, every now and again and offer a lot of support for people. And then my book is The Way of Grace, and you can the website shares that. It's published by Sounds True. It's also in a fully unabridged audiobook read by me with all the practices led by me as well. So that's how people can find out more and i'd personally like to recommend your retreats too i've i've um been to a couple in ireland and mm-hmm. my favorite part of your retreats miranda all of it's brilliant mm-hmm. but the the mantras and the singing that you lead with everybody mm-hmm. in the room at times can feel quite church-like yeah well it's church-like but it's not church you yes. know because i'm not telling people what to believe i'm just inviting them deeper into themselves and, you know, trusting that they will find what they need. But, yeah, I mean, I'm not someone who just talks about this. I'm all about opening up the possibility for you to have a direct experience of the sacred yeah. and to listen to how that wants to be lived in your life. And so one of the most natural ways all people from all cultures have done that is, you know, through singing together. And there's something very beautiful that happens when we just drop out of the mind into that field together and it's so beautiful. Rich. Oh my goodness. And, yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, we do a lot of, yeah. And we, we chant things sometimes in English, sometimes in Sanskrit, you know, became, being an interfaith minister, I draw from, you know, the world's wisdom traditions. And so it's designed for people, you know, whatever their spiritual path, whatever has been meaningful for them, you know, they can be in the room and join us and deepen mm. and find something that's helpful and i think you use the the description and experience of and that's really what happens is a, a really direct experience that's thank, right thank yeah. you so much for this chat today again just before you go i've got three very quick questions that i'm going to ask you i ask these questions to everybody that appears on this podcast so the first one is about books apart from mm-hmm. your own um, which book do you find yourself gifting the most to other people oh that's a beautiful question um, gifting the most, I would say the Radiant Sutras by Lauren Roche. It's a book that is basically taking um, some really beautiful tantric teachings on life and putting them and translating them in English. And they're just stunning. And I find myself giving those kinds of books to friends for, you know, Christmas and things because everybody loves it. And I do, too. Fantastic. Great answer. Next question. This is going to be really, I think I might be predicting your answer here. So it'd be interesting if I get this right. But Mm -hmm. um, not a relative, but, you know, history, myth, legend, present day. Which woman is the most inspirational for you? (sighs) You know, it's really hard for me just to say one. Mm. To be really honest with you, my mind is drawing a blank, except that right now who's coming to me is someone who I've become very good friends with of late. Her name is Sally Kempton, and she wrote a beautiful book called Meditation for the Love of It. She's a woman in her 70s, and I, I'm i really just enjoying so much what she's brought to the world. And um, I, I really am always someone who loves to to look at the generation above mine and mm. the women that have really stood out. And I think that the generation of women who are now in their seventies have brought so much that was so important for my generation. And I'm so grateful. And Sally's one of them. Wow. I obviously didn't predict that one. I was thinking you might say Lala. Um, yes, I could definitely say Lala. Thank you for reminding me. She's one of my favorites. I was somehow the way your question was coming. I was thinking someone more contemporary, oh, okay. but someone who's lived throughout history for sure. Lala. Lala was a 14th century Kashmiri mystic who um, 
whose poetry is just spare and stunning and for me cuts right to the heart of um, of what Grace is. So, yes, I love her too. Brilliant. Okay, and final question. Mm-hmm. Which song, this is another tricky one, Miranda, I know, but which song sums up your challenge that we've spoken about today in terms of relinquishing control and uh, kind of allowing Grace? I would say... The mantra, may all beings dwell in the heart. Because, frankly, whenever I have really been in those moments of, you know, WTF, you know. <laughs> Hashtag. I mean, yeah. And I think everybody knows exactly what that means. Yeah. You know, when I've really been in those moments, that's what I turn into. I just turn into compassion. I start, you know, singing and chanting, may all beings May all beings dwell in the heart. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be healed. May all beings know their wholeness. May all beings be happy and at peace do you know what Miranda I think I've just had an experience of grace because my last question uh, was to ask you if you would close because we opened in a very mindful way if we could close in a very mindful way with a mantra and you just did it (laughs) well there we are our prayers are answered aren't they fantastic thank you so much for your time today I really appreciate it wonderful and blessed Bless all the listeners, and I hope this has been rich and meaningful for you. I'm Jo Wise, and you've been listening to Wise Women, the podcast. You can follow Wise Women on Instagram, Facebook, and the website www.wisewomen.org.uk. Remember, wise is spelt with a Y. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate and review this podcast. I look forward to you joining me next time for another Wise Women episode.